Hello and welcome to Let's Talk Automation. I'm Annalisa Camarillo, the Chief Customer Advocate for AVO, and your trusty podcast host for today. We're going to talk about the people factor in the adoption of test automation. And I'm super lucky to have Michael Fritz in conversation with me to help us understand the critical role that people play. Think about that. People play a role in automation, and it's so important for us to talk about how we get people on board and what's so important about they being ready, right, uh, for automation. Michael is a podcaster extraordinaire. Gee whiz. Um, he's going to tell us a little bit about uh, podcastify.me, um, and, and that'll be some exciting information and ways for people to continue to engage with Michael. And then he's also an entrepreneur in the application development space uh, with a company that he's founded. And so as an introduction for our listeners, please introduce yourself, Michael, and share what led to the start of Arch DevOps and Podcastify Me. Thank you. Thank you a ton. I'm glad. I mean, some big shoes to fill. Podcaster extraordinaires. Wow. <laughs> Extraordinary, you know. But yeah, I'm Michael, and I started Arch DevOps back in 2015. It was really an extension of my career as a software tester and test automation extraordinaire. And you know, I just said, I'm going to start my own business. How hard could this be? Well, it's been a pretty crazy journey the last you know, seven years, right? And Podcastify Me was started up as an extension of that even. I've been podcasting for almost three years. And I took everything that I knew about marketing and creative and automation and yeah. podcasting and humaning. And I'm like, let's just cram it all together and make a company. There's so that's been going strong and just, yeah, a lot of crazy stuff. Life sure is complex, but I'm glad I'm here. Good, good. And you're right. Life is complex. It's becoming sort of a mishmash of so many things that we've learned throughout the years. They're calling it the fluid economy now. It's just, mm -hmm. you know, don't worry about, um, you know, doing things necessarily in a stepwise approach. Just go with the flow um, because there's so much change that's up ahead. And many people don't, we, we, we don't know how to define it uh, mm -hmm. or predict it. And so instead, it's better that we just be comfortable adapting, right? Yep. Um, and so on this topic of us adapting, let's jump in, Michael, and talk right. a little bit about automation adoption, um, in particular, test automation, right? Because all of us are software application users. And um, it's those applications that really enable us to do a lot of the things that we're doing today. It's an app-driven world, as they say, right? And mm -hmm. uh, behind the scenes, it takes a lot of people uh, testing those applications, developing the functionality around those applications to enable us to do all the cool things that we do. And so with your experience in automation adoption, what do you think is the biggest struggle? Right. As far as people are concerned, what is the biggest struggle? It's funny you mentioned as far as people are concerned, it's the people. That's the biggest <laughs> that's the biggest struggle. Right. And what I mean by that is there's always this stigma behind automation. Like it's going to take my job. It's like, actually, it's not. It really isn't. OK. Um, automation has never taken anybody's job. If anything, it's. Uh, some person that's deciding, okay, we can eliminate this position. It's not the automation's fault. So, you know, taking a look at that and saying, okay, well, 
how do we, I guess, destigmatize automation? How do you make it so that people aren't afraid to get in and learn some new skills, pivot, adapt, be fluid? And so, you know, trying to overcome that hurdle becomes less of a technical one and a whole lot more of a personal one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the last time that you and I talked, you gave me an example of getting people on board versus ad- implementing it automation in whatever way people do it today. So let's just take the scenario of a quality assurance team. They're mm-hmm. strapped with lots of tools that they're using to do their job better, faster. And mm-hmm. uh, I can imagine that that's a pretty complex uh, work environment. And at least we've heard that from our own customers, QA testers, engineers that are working with a lot of changes that are happening on a rapid basis, more applications that are coming their way, and a lot of demands, not only from the app dev team, but also the business. And so in your experience, if you've got the the bad scenario, you've got the good scenario, right? Give us the bad scenario. Oh, you're going to rip the Band-Aid off, right? Start with the bad stuff. Yes. Uh, Previous tester, right? Give us the bad news first. (laughs) So... The, uh, the bad scenario is I had a client one time. It was early, early when I started Arch DevOps. I was like just full of vim and vigor. And I had come in. They had said, okay, we have automation already. And we need you to take a look and assess what we've got and see if it's either salvageable. If it's not, then can you write you know, create a replacement for us. And so I looked and I said, okay, I'm going to do my due diligence. I'm going to really look hard and see if this is salvageable. Cause I mean, I know I can solve it, but I really want to make sure that I'm looking under every rock and you know, everything. So I looked at it and I said, okay, it's in .NET. It's very Cody. It's very difficult to get in and try to figure out what is going on here. But I have a development background, but none of the people on the QA team did. So even if I was able to seamlessly get in and change stuff around, I'm only there for a year. I can't do something that's going to create a dependence on me. So I took a week and eventually I said, okay, we need a replacement. We need a replacement. And in my opinion, it needs to be based off of a simpler stack. And I went with Ruby and Cucumber because I wanted it to be human readable wanted it to be easy for the testers to use. It didn't take me terribly long to get the core of the framework together. But once it was done, I showed it off to the management. I showed it off to the QA team. And everybody said, dude, that's awesome. That's freaking amazing. Good job. And then wonder of wonders, nobody used it. And it's like, guys, I just, huh, you'll put this on a silver platter for you. What happened? And what I what I realized was, uh, you know, and I, and I figured this out just in the nick of time because I had this was a year long project so I could salvage it. But what I had done was I played the hero card, I mm-hmm. went in to a very human centric situation. That's mm-hmm. what the problem was. People were afraid, mm-hmm. but I didn't read the room properly. And I said, I just served up technology. And they paid lip service, they said, This is great, but their actions did not line up with it. They just they didn't use it because they felt like they didn't have any hand in this. They don't have on okay. Yeah. Use it, right? So that's the that's the bad case. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that happens more often than not, right? And in so many different departments in the business is unless you bring the people with you, give them a vested interest, then they're not going to really feel like it was something that they participated in. And so then adoption right. is only going to be that much harder, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so those scenarios, believe it or not, we hear about them in just about every customer call. Yeah. Um, initially, they will say, you know, our team that's that's uh, testing all of the financial applications, they use X tool. We use tool Y. They use tool Z. And the three of us never really talk to each other. Everybody just sort of does what they can uh, to do their job better. But what would work so much better, of course, is if they all worked together. Um, yeah, yeah. And to your point, I mean, what it takes is leadership is having any one of them that could stand up and say, we're going to get better integrated around delivering high quality software and working as a testing team uh, to use the best tools, uh, but do it in a centralized way. So all of us get the opportunity to leverage really good tools, right? Yes. Um, and so if a consultant is going to come in, someone like you, uh, to guide them and consult them, easily. I mean, just as you learned after, right, you could have come in and sort of shepherd the way versus doing it independent of the team. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and I got a story about that. I finally learned my lesson. Good. Can I tell you that? Can I tell you the good case yes, now? <laughs> I want to know. Yes, we all want to know. Tell us, please. So um, what I ended up doing with a, with a future client was, okay, very similar situation. They've got a QA team. Everybody's strapped. People aren't real technical. But taking my lessons learned before, I'm like, okay, can't play the hero card. That has not worked. I've seen me do it. It doesn't work. So instead, I said, all right, well, it looks like the same kind of solution would work here. Same kind of stack, Ruby and water and cucumber, right? And what I did this time was, okay, instead of me, being the person that's like doing a hundred percent of this as i'm building relationships with the testers the developers the bas everybody else the project managers i'm identifying first okay who is really good and foamed up about this topic like people are just some people will say yeah i like automation and some people are like yes yes you know they just they get foam at the mouth about it and it's like awesome um, stick close to those people because they are the evangelists, right? Yeah. So that's the first thing was I needed to kind of find people who had equal passion about talking about this stuff yeah. because when they're talking about it in amongst their own team members, it's like, hey, uh, it's not just a one-off thing. There's this guy coming in doing this work. Yeah. Now we got some of our own people saying it, right? But then the second part is divide that implementation up into small pieces. And what I found was there were some areas that, yeah, I could do it. I mean, if I needed to write the code for this, it, it's fairly straightforward, but I've been doing this for a decade, right? It's easy for me, but for people there, it's going to be a little harder, but it's great experience. And so what I did was I came alongside some of those evangelists, some of those more technical testers, and I said, hey, do you want to work on this mini project with me? And I said, I'll be here. I'll guide you. Um, I'm not throwing you to the wolves or anything. And I said, but I really want you to understand some of the deeper 
you know, mechanisms inside this framework that I'm putting together because I don't want to be the only person that knows how to do this. Right. And then at the end of a six month project, I'm gone and then nobody's using it. Right. Yeah. And I, seriously, I don't deal in absolutes, like only Sith deal in absolutes, right? hundred percent of people that I asked that question, they were like, heck yes, let's do it. They were excited. We were pair programming like ding, ding, ding on the same keyboard. It was great. It was awesome. We were getting our nerd on. And at the end of that exercise, they intimately knew what that part of the system did because they helped build it. Of course. And then later on, yeah. And if somebody else came along and said, hey, Fritz, you know, I got a question about this. I'm like, well, you know, Marianne over here actually knows about that part of the system. And I said, why don't you ask her if you get stuck, come to me. But, you know, I want to work on you guys building your knowledge base. Come to each other. Don't rely on me so much, right? I was literally trying to work myself out of a job and it worked. So I don't work there anymore. But the adoption really, really took off. People felt like they weren't scared to use it. They were yes. getting in there and just changing like deep stuff. It'd be like if you, you know, saw somebody working on your Ford F-350 and it's like, we're taking the engine apart. Well, what are you doing? Hey, it's okay. I'm just yeah. replacing a head gasket. It's like, okay, just put right. it back how you found it when you're done. They exactly. were doing that kind of stuff. It's yep. fun though. Yeah. And so you've identified a, a bunch of little tricks to getting people on board. One of them is identifying those champions for different parts of the process. Right. Um, so the fact that you said Marianne knows X, you know, Bill knows Y, so on and so forth. It's knowing those people who are going to shepherd the way and work together as a team. And so was there anyone that stood out to you from a from a maybe a title standpoint? Because there's obviously multiple roles of people in testing. It could be an engineer. It could be a tester. It could be a QA manager. There, there's a ton. It's, it's a team effort. Um, were there people that have that's that stood up that uh, seemed maybe the more natural leaders, or was it a little bit of everyone once they all started getting a feel for the team aspect of what you were trying to do? Mm, that's a really great question. I don't think that there was any one title, yeah, but it kind of took a little bit of you know scraping at the surface, and you see that there's some latent leadership qualities in this person that just haven't come out because the environment has not presented an opportunity for them to do that. Right. And it's like, you might be talking to somebody and their title is senior QA analyst or something, but then you get to know them more and it's like, they have got some wisdom in here yep. and it's just yep. waiting to be unlocked. It's yep. amazing. Yep. Yep. And that you're sending a message to leaders in QA. You're sending a, a message to leaders in general. That's what you're doing. Really. You're you're pointing out the fundamental responsibility that those managers, directors, people in charge of a team need to pay attention to. And that's number one, just have empathy. Understand what each role is. Um, what they're having a hard time doing by getting into kind of getting into their shoes and noticing what Mary is good at versus what the QA analyst is good at. And then and realizing that you've got people in here with a wealth of information. The only thing separating the company from all of that, those ideas and that knowledge is, is unlocking it, right? That's the only mm -hmm. thing separating them. Who is going to do it? And, and I think the way the approach 
that anyone who is about to undergo the implementation of automation or some other form of transformation, the, the key thing is to be able to lead the people, right? Mm -hmm. To either bring them together, make sure each of them feel a part of it, but then also tap into that wealth of information that they've had over however many years they've been working in on uh, testing those applications, testing the different very integrated software environments, all of the different touch points that those applications come across, right? And and the users themselves, right? Understanding what the how the user is feeling, what they're experiencing, all of that information is in the head of a lot of those QA leaders right mm -hmm. um and you're not going to get access to it unless you ask unless you you know really have an interest in knowing what kind of value they can provide to your company and so that's essentially what you did right is. you switched your approach yep that's the plan you you caught me that's the whole you know <laughs> you know get people there's plenty of leadership out there it's just it's waiting to be yeah. tapped into but we're throwing technology at things and it's like we're totally missing the human aspect of it and it took me years don't get me wrong i was a huge nerd and i'm like oh, i just write a bash script like how hard could it be like i totally missed i totally missed this for like a decade okay so yeah. I, I got here right on time i'm good you know don't be this guy don't make my mistakes <laughs> well not only that but it's never too late right as they say right. wake up the next day and try again um, and so long as you're doing the best you can every single day, the good news is you get another chance. And um, and I, I'll say I, I missed the sort of the importance of the people factor. I mean, it's it's sort of easy to overlook sometimes when you act more independent, right? You're thinking about yourself and the job that you have to do um, until you realize that you're living in a very connected society and you're only as good as your weakest link. You start to realize there is nothing I can do without somebody else. Right. Um, and it's it's in that point, you know, as they say, the the all boats rise is really what we're after, because the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. When you're all working together, it's triple the benefit, it's triple the productivity, it's triple the, you know, the the chance of, of innovation and those sorts of things. And so that's why I think it's just such an important message to um to teams that want to, or companies, I should say, they want to take advantage of the more transformative technologies, but they feel stuck, right? And it's not the technology's problem, right? It's not that the technology may or may not work. It may not even be that the process is necessarily um, either the wrong one or outdated. The top thing, because it, everything revolves around it, is the people factor. Mm -hmm. If you start with the people first, and ensuring that you've got the right roles in place, that people feel supported, that people feel a vested interest. From there, I think chances are, and at least I've experienced this in my own leadership roles, chances are you have a much greater uh, rate of success. You do. Right? You do. And just, it often seems like that's the last thing you learn. You finally get it. And it's like, why did I learn this five years ago? But, right. you know, right. we right. get there. Right. Right, and more companies will get there. And so let's boil it down then. Um, if we had to write a playbook together about the people factor and how important it is to adopt, whether it be test automation or business process automation, just automation in general, because it's big, it's hairy, it's not easy. Um, what would you? What would be in that playbook? What are kind of the four or five things that you think are important starting points for 
the person in charge of bringing in automation or the person or team in charge of bringing in automation? Wow, that is a that's a big question. I would say I would say the playbook is going to be like before you even put your fingers on the keyboard, before you write your first line of code or start implementing a product before you do any of that stuff, any of it. Um, I think back to the adage of if you want to build a ship, don't get a bunch of guys to go cut down trees and saw up wood and nail it together. Don't do that. Talk to them about the glory of being on the open ocean, what it's like to have that salt spray in your face, what it's like to come out on the deck and you don't see any land for miles around. You don't even know where the next human is, but you know that there's something out there. Just it's time to explore. It's happened to your deep human nature of just, hey, let's go explore and let's go find out and learn and see what there is, right? Start by fostering that, but also tie that to a clear vision. There is a goal. Like we want to get to a goal where we don't have to spend, you know, 60 hours a week working nights and weekends and have to eat donuts because we've got a release, right? Like the ultimate goal is we want to free up a ton of time because we've got some really cool stuff we want to work on. Right. We got to, we got to be streamlined with this. So that's the clear vision. And as you talk about this, as you make that vision clear, as you tap in to really the heart and soul of your team members, you start to get this shared passion amongst yourselves. Like everybody wants, doesn't matter how stressful things are, everybody on the team yeah. wants the same thing. Everyone wants success. Whatever their definition of success is, it's going to be different for people, but they all want that same thing. That's their passion. That's what drives them, right? And when you're able to share that, and you can just feel that thrumming. Everybody's got, they're on the same wavelength. It's amazing. You get into that flow state when you combine those two things. And then everybody's got a vested interest at that point. You know, you don't just say, okay, we got a vision. We got, we got passion, ready, set, go. And then like the implementation team goes off and just does their own thing. It's like, no, that's not going to work. That's what I did that first time, that bad case, right? It doesn't work, right? You've got to continually get a vested interest. You got to get input from the team, right? What is it that they would find to be important and implement that, okay? Mm -hmm. Because when they see that their opinions and their expertise and experience is having, you know, a noticeable measurable difference on what's being put in, you're you're going to get more adoption. Mm -hmm. They're like, "Hey, it does this because that was my idea. I thought of that, right?" So they're able to they're able to see themselves in this thing that's taking shape. Um, you know, as you do that, more and more team members are are getting their fingers into it. They're trying things out. They're learning things. They're making mistakes, and that's okay. But you start to form like it's almost like this collective. Everybody is helping support this thing. And and finally, I mean, I know there's a lot of companies out there that say, "Yeah, we do agile," and it's not actually agile. It's just really fast waterfall. But I'm saying actual agile okay try some crazy and be open to failing at what you're trying because failure is not bad it's just data um, that's something i try to tell teach to our girls we have four little girls ages six through twelve and anytime they mess up on something they, they're like and it's hey just you failed it's okay what did you learn 
let's not make the same mistake again. But what did you learn about that? What did you learn about yourself? Same thing for automation. No two companies are going to have the same solution. doesn't matter what their approach is. They're going to have something wildly different. So it's okay to try some stuff and to fall on your face, get up, brush yourself off. Let's try something else. You've got a whole team of people that want everybody to be successful. We all sink or swim together, but let's go do some amazing stuff. Let's build that ship yeah. and get out there and see what there is, right? And it's a beautiful thing. And it's so much like, it amazes me. Seriously, when I got into technology, I thought every problem could be solved with technology. Mm-hmm. And the older I get, the more mellowed out I get. And those were like, that was young and silly Fritz back in his 20s. Now I'm 41. And it's like, it's probably 90% person, like human talking or humaning. And it's 10% technology. Mm-hmm. And it's crazy. And then it's like, why did I spend all that time and money learning CS, right? Like, they're just, you know, gone into communications or something, but here I am. But it's just, it's amazing. And people overlook this. I think, yeah. I think there's a big change coming, but yeah. not there yet. Yeah, I think the pandemic kind of dunked our heads in, we're human first. Yeah. Held us under the water for two held years. Us under the water like, for <gasps> long, exactly, for a really long time to teach you a lesson that is we are an independent, we are a dependent, a globally dependent society. Yes. And uh, there is nothing any one country can do on their own while another country is down. Mm. And uh, because we are globally dependent. And the same is true as you unpack that all the way down to the smallest bit, which is each of us just from a we're human first, right? Um, we all sh- you know, share in each other's pain in one mm-hmm. way or another. And, um, and so that lesson, I think, was important to remind us how, how critical our interpersonal skills are, just those faculties we were born with right? Mm-hmm. Of being kind, being compassionate, being thoughtful, having be morally driven, having good values, being a good person, right? All of those things that we were sort of stripped down to when everything stopped for two years, mm-hmm. right? It was no more noise to sort of distract you from remembering who you are. Uh, no more events and parties and things like that to sort of cloud up whatever other things you really needed to deal with and pay attention to all of a sudden it was just you yourself and your surroundings uh to get reconnected to what's important in life and uh and i'm i'm really happy that out of that i think more of us realize it's just that human it's that human to human connection right it is Mm -hmm. being a good person it is remembering that yes, together we're stronger than anyone in you know person can be independent, and uh, so there were really important lessons. And to your point, I mean, I think the people factor that's the game changer in any technology journey. And so, quite the opposite of what may be the perception, which is technology is going to take our job, technology is going to disrupt you know our ability to to you know to to grow or succeed in a career or whatever that may be in <laughs> fact it's the opposite technology is now in my opinion only encouraging people to be stronger as humans and to go back to those skills that are only innate to a human 
right? The way that we use our emotions, how dynamic we are and the way that we communicate with people and so on and so forth, right? Those are all the things that I think we're gonna be super, super good at. And I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm confident that no matter how and at what time you realize that or I realize that or any of our friends in quality assurance realize that, the reality is that we still have one more day to try it again and to get better at it, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. um, and I just, I think that's awesome. I think you boiled it down to a playbook that I want to write with you. Um, clear vision, Let's do it. shared passion, fostering a vested interest, creating a collective, an agile plan. So it, be comfortable being iterative. As you said, you fall down, you get up, you dust yourself off, you start again, tomorrow's a new day kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. And um, that playbook applies to just about anything, if you think about it, right? Um, it applies to life. It's sort of the playbook for life. And so if we wrote that for QA teams, I think we would be setting them up for success. And I see a part two to our podcast conversation. Yay. Where we can talk about, we can come back and say, hey, Michael, we wrote our playbook. Now let's unpack it for the, for the audience and just share what's in it and give it away. Right. Love it. Um, I wasn't going to try to invite myself to a part two, but I'm glad you asked because I'm like, <laughs> Man, there's so much more to talk about. And I mean, yeah. like, I don't know if I just used up my slot and I can't come on anymore, but you said it. So, okay, I'm holding you to it. You earned it. You earned, earned it, it, buddy. And now, and now we just got to make sure that the audience thinks so too, that we both earned it, right? <laughs> uh, and so on that, what do we want to, people to do next, right? Um, and I think we put a little bit of thought into what do we want people to do next? Keep learning is uh, one of the most important calls to action, right? Is just keep learning. But in addition to that, if they wanted to stay connected with us, right? I think we've got some, some simple calls to action that we can share with anyone who's listening, right? It's just a couple of really simple and basic next steps. I'm gonna pop this open so it looks a little clearer. I identified a blog that we wrote called the four key ingredients for successful test automation. Super simple three minute read and you can scan the QR code there so it pops open on your mobile phone and it's super simple to just pull it up. You too, Michael, you've got tons you can teach the audience about using podcasts, being a podcaster, participating in podcasts at your podcastify.me site. And so mm -hmm. all of the audience can scan that simple QR code and go check you out. I think that would be awesome. And then if it just so happens someone wants to see what test automation actually looks like, how it works, um, request a demo. We'd be happy to set up 30 minutes with anybody who wants to know more and show you what it looks like, uh, answer any questions. I like to tell people, tap into our expertise. It's free knowledge. If you want to learn from us, I'll bring on an expert. Uh, you can ask any question you want, just about any question you want. and. Uh, it's no questions asked. I mean, we don't we don't require anything other than your attendance, and we're super appreciative for any time we get with customers. Um, and so I think it's as simple as that. Uh, from here, I think we could just kind of close with saying thanks to everybody for listening in. Anything you want to say as you're closing, Michael? I can't think of anything. I'm just <laughs> I'm just blessed. Seriously. Well, I said that. I'm like I can't think of anything, and then I'm getting ready to say something. So. I'm just blessed to be in a place where, you know, yeah. I can help a lot of QA people at large. And 
I wouldn't consider myself a coach, but people keep coming to me for my advice. So, I mean, I guess I am, but there's so much cool stuff. Like the QA world hasn't even scratched the surface and we're poised to make some big changes. And it starts with, let's get human with each other and let's yeah. do some awesome. So I'm excited. Thank you for the opportunity to talk with you today. Yeah, ditto. Let's do some awesome. Thanks to everybody for attending and hope to uh, see everybody on the next podcast.